The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. All right, turn with me, if you would, to 1 John chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 7, okay? Amen. Uh, Today we are answering the next question in our Curious series, and that question is, why are moms so awesome? I'm kidding. That could be a sermon, though. Uh, It it could easily be a sermon. Uh, I do want to say happy Mother's Day to all the mamas. Uh, We love you, and we genuinely celebrate your superhuman abilities, and we're really thankful for you. Um, And we also have a gift for every mom here after service. Um, so outside the uh, ushers or somebody will have um, a tray. We've got uh, succulents. We did it last year as well. And uh, we did those because they're hip and trendy, which of course somebody else had to tell me because uh, I don't know. But also because they only need to be watered about once a week. And uh, let's be honest, moms, um, if you're a mom, you don't need another high maintenance living thing to take care of, right? So uh, these are pretty easy. And uh, so that's a gift from us to you. And uh, we celebrate moms, and we're really thankful for you. So please take one of those on your way out. There's probably extra. If you know a mama that maybe didn't get a gift or it would be a blessing to her, go ahead and take two. That's fine. Okay? All right, so here's the actual question this week. Is the doctrine of the Trinity biblical? Uh, now, I know right off the bat, because I said doctrine and Trinity, uh, some people will be tempted to check out. Uh, some will assume what is going to follow is going to be about as interesting and applicable as watching grass grow or watching paint dry. Um, That's not going to be true. And so part of how I'm going to prove it to you is uh, I'm going to invert the normal order, kind of how a sermon would tend to go. Typically, I would give you information about the doctrine of the Trinity and then application. I'm going to flip that, uh, and I'm going to give you the application first and then the, the information. So Essentially, I want to tell you why the doctrine of the Trinity matters before I get down to kind of the nuts and bolts. Um, And and after I tell you why it matters, then we'll get down to why we believe it's biblical, okay? Um, Before we read these verses, let me just give you a super short definition of what the doctrine of the Trinity is, okay? The word Trinity is not found in the Bible, kind of famously, um, but it is a succinct way to describe the somewhat mysterious way that the Scriptures speak of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The word Trinity, if you break it up, is tri, right? So that's three. And then unity or oneness. And so a short definition for the Trinity is three in one. So we believe that the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit are three distinct persons and yet share one essential essence. They are all equally God. All right? Uh, did you turn to 1 John chapter 4? I didn't. 1 John 4, and we're going to start in verse 7, okay? Here we go. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because he has given us his spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Uh, You'll notice right off the bat, uh, mentioning of of all three there, the Father, Son, and the Spirit. Uh, There are many reasons that the doctrine of the Trinity is important, right? So I told you first I was going to give you application. I was going to give you reasons why, when I start to get into the nuts and bolts of the doctrine of the Trinity, that I'm hoping by the time we get there, we're all going to care severely about it, okay? And here's the first major implication I want to give you. Without the doctrine of the Trinity, there would be no Mother's Day. 
Some of you are like, okay, this is going to be heresy. Some of you are trying to figure out how that's going to work and piece together. What you may be thinking you just heard was a desperate attempt to make the doctrine of the Trinity somehow relate to Mother's Day. Uh, I'm going to ask you, though, to come with me on a short expositional journey, and I want you to be the judge, really, of whether Mother's Day would exist without the doctrine of the Trinity. Okay? You willing to do that? Let's do it. I I believe they're connected. Uh, Let's look together at verse 8 again. Uh, And those of you that know me know that to stick to what I'm actually here for and not go wild in these verses is an exercise in extreme discipline. So um, I would like a pat on the back for that. All right. Uh, So I'm back in verse 8. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Relatively famous verse, right? Um, This along with verse 16 here in the same flow of thought, uh, they both repeat the wondrous fact that God is love. And that statement is part of why we have such a robust conviction here at Love City about defining love by God's standards. Uh, This doesn't say that God loves. It says God is love. What does this mean? What it doesn't mean is that God must conform to our definition of what love is or does. It means that from all eternity... Love is a part of God's divine nature, and it originates and it flows from Him. We are given a glimpse into the depth and breadth and beauty of love in 1 John 3.16, where we are told, by this we know love, that He laid down His life for us. And so we're directed by the Scriptures when trying to understand the depth and the beauty and the wonder of what love is, how that's tied to God's character. We are directed to take a look at the cross of Christ to begin to try to understand that. Uh, So in setting our gaze upon the cross of Christ, there we see selflessness. Uh, We see preferring others' needs before our own uh, in the Savior giving himself up for us. Uh, We see such loyalty and devotion that it would cause our king to sacrifice his very life for us, the ones that he loves. Now what does this have to do with the doctrine of the Trinity? If God is love, then he has been loving for all eternity. And it is only the Trinitarian Godhead that has existed eternally, and everything and everyone else that exists have been created by him or through him. Okay? Without the community found within the Trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the question is, who would have been there for God to love? If God in his very essence and nature is love, then the fact that he's Trinitarian in his nature and that there's community and relationship within and between the Godhead, that's part of how God has been love from eternity past. It's part of how it has been a part of his very character and nature. Uh, Because it wasn't until you get into eternity and your mind starts to melt, but God has always existed, never began. All of the rest of what is created did have a starting point. So there was some expanse of, you want to call it time, but that's not even right because you're dealing in eternity, but there was a long time where it was just God. So who was he loving? The other members of the Trinity. Why does that matter? Okay. It is also within the Trinity that we see the ultimate and perfect example of pure love, fully reciprocated between the Father, Son, and Spirit, and here's a key, completely free of ulterior motives, right? We're capable of love, but normally there's stuff mixed in there, right? There's other motives. There's other things going on. If God is like some describe, just one person manifesting in different forms at different times, then how could he be eternally the God who is love? If he was just kind of hanging out there by himself. The Trinitarian God of the Bible is love and has been in perfect loving community forever within the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit. This is also how we know that God did not create out of a need for someone to love. Sometimes we can have an over-realized understanding of our own importance, thinking that somehow God needed us. He had fully perfect love, community, and fellowship within the Trinitarian Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit. It was not that he needed us. Um, However, he did still go ahead and create us, which I'm really, really thankful for. So it wasn't that he needed us, it was simply an overflow of who and what he is, and a desire to have us and be glorified through us that caused 
him to create us. That, to me, is another one of the thousands of reasons I love and worship him. So, if God were not Trinitarian, then he could not be perfectly and eternally loving. That's important. And this would be bad for lots of reasons, not least of which is the fact that we, then, would not have the ability to love selflessly as a result of being his image bearers, right? God is love. He's the very source of love. He is its author. He is its definer. He is the place from which love flows. And so, the only reason we can experience and or uh, operate in that love is because we are his image bearers. If he was not if, if John was wrong and God is not love and he's not been eternally in community and he hasn't eternally been love and it wasn't perfect and it wasn't selfless, then one of the implications of that is that we as his image bearers would not have the ability then to love selflessly uh, like he does. The only reason we even have the imperfect capability to love others is because we are made in the image of the God who is and always has been love. And he couldn't have always been love if it were not for the fact that he is Trinitarian in nature. Here's my question to you. Can anyone think of some human relationships that might be different if we were not capable as God's image bearers to love selflessly and sacrificially? Any human relationships that might be different if we as God's image bearers, if he was not actually loved the way John says, if he was not eternally loving within the, the Godhead, uh, and, and then we as his image bearers then could not love selflessly and sacrificially, what human relationships would be different? I'll tell you the first one that jumps into my mind. That's the relationship between mothers and their children. I mean, come on, friends. If it were not for real, true love, what would possess a woman to let her body be hijacked by a little human parasite that is going to literally feed off of her life force for nine months, if it were not for real true love, right? Uh, and, and then it's going to cause her incredible discomfort as she carries that little one inside of her. And then she's going to go through the excruciating pain of childbirth to bring that life into the world. And, and the fun has just begun. We just got started, Right? Because then she's going to suffer extreme sleep deprivation to meet the hungry demands of this little human. She's going to clean up whatever erupts from either end. Right? She's going to often disregard what would be best for her own health and sanity to take care of the needs of somebody who can literally offer her nothing in return. And, and when she's done with all that, she wants to hold and cuddle, and shower sweet affection upon that child. If it were not for the fact that we as God's image bearers have the capacity for selfless love that flows from the very nature of our creator, moms as we know them could not exist. Without selfless love, moms couldn't exist. If God were not Trinitarian and thus eternally and perfectly loving, Love as we know it would not exist. Thus, if it were not for the doctrine of the Trinity, I don't believe we would have a day set aside for celebrating the absolutely love-motivated miracle that is motherhood. If it were not for the selfless love that we are capable of because we're image bearers of Christ, relationships between mothers and children would be much like the relationship you have with your garbage man, right? It's like, I put the garbage out, he comes and gets it, it's, it's just kind of a, it's a cold deal, right? I mean, I say hi to my garbage man because, hey, you know, I might get to talk to him about Jesus someday, but it's not the same as the relationship with my mom, me and the garbage man, right? It's just, we, we, we have, you know, mutual, he gets paid to take my garbage, I have garbage, like, you know, there's some mutual benefit there. Um, but it's not like what we're talking about. Um, and so I'm just, I'm convinced that if God were not Trinitarian, thus perfectly loving throughout all of eternity, we would not have stamped upon us uh, part of his image and the ability to love selflessly. Uh, and if it weren't for the ability to love selflessly and sacrificially, um, I don't think mamas would make it. I think it'd be a much uh, different relationship. How many of you know that if mamas did not serve, protect, 
discipline, and love their children as a result of sharing part of God's loving nature, you wouldn't be alive today. How many of you know that? If moms did not love the way they love, you wouldn't be alive today. Yes, right? Because all of you were nasty when you were kids, and most of you were nasty when you got a little older, and then you were really nasty when you were teenagers, right? You know, sometimes my mom loved me by smacking me back in place, but hey, I know what she was doing, man. She loved me. Uh, And I don't believe that mamas would even have the capacity to pay the price they pay to raise their kids if it were not for the fact that God is love, and though imperfectly, moms love like he does. I think a mother's love, I think the sacrifice that a mother pays from the the time that that baby begins to grow inside of her uh, is one of the, the clearest pictures of the fact that humans do have the ability to love selflessly like God does. Of course it's imperfect. Of course sometimes mamas sin. Of course it's not the same as the way God loves us. Uh, there is the blemish of sin involved. However, uh, a mother's love is some of the most powerful selfless love on the planet. And I think it points to the gospel. Um, that whole her suffering excruciating pain to uh, give life to somebody that wouldn't otherwise have it sounds familiar. Amen. Uh, In case you still think I'm stretching for a connection between God's nature, the doctrine of the Trinity, and Mother's Day, I would submit to you this. Uh, God compares the comfort that he brings to his people to the comfort of a mother in the book of Isaiah. This is Isaiah 66, verse 13, and he says, As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. And so God is comfortable comparing himself in the comfort that he brings, the love that he brings, um, the goodness that he showers upon his people uh, to the goodness and the love and the care of, of a good mama. And so, uh, and, and you know, for, for some of us, Mother's Day can be difficult, um, you know, because maybe the relationship isn't like that, but, uh, you know, some of you have, and some of us have uh, experienced the fact that there's, there's really nothing like the way a mom will comfort you and love you. And, um, I'm thankful for that, and I'm thankful God's willing to be that kind and compassionate to us, his people. Uh, Turn now, if you would, to Ephesians 1, and we're going to start in verse 3. Uh, I told you that I was going to show you why the doctrine of the Trinity was important before I showed you why it's biblical. Okay, so first of all, the first premise is, uh, I like Mother's Day. I think it's cool. I don't think it would exist without the doctrine of the Trinity. Uh, may, maybe more importantly, I don't think love as we know it would exist without the doctrine of the Trinity. That's a pretty big deal. Um, relationships would be totally different, uh, I believe, if it wasn't for the model we have of, of perfect love, uh, submission, and selflessness between uh, the Trinitarian Godhead. And so uh, there, there'd be a whole lot that we would lose, a whole lot that would be different. <clears throat> and so that's important, uh, and I think that should make us care about it. Uh, when we look at the verses that show us the truth of this doctrine, I really want us to understand it's not just some de- debate reserved for theological neatniks and biblical scholars, but it, it has real and monumental implications for our life and faith. Whether or not this is the way God is, uh, whether or not what we believe from the scriptures about God's character and nature, uh, and whether or not he is Trinitarian, it has, it's not just something that... Um, you know, people with nothing better to do argue about it, it, it has absolutely uh, drastic implications for uh, our life and faith. So thus far, we've said real, eternal, selfless love would not exist if God were not Trinitarian. I believe also the way that we understand the gospel and salvation is actually anchored in the truth of the Trinity, all right? So we're in Ephesians 1, and we're going to start in verse 3 together, okay? And we're going to read uh, down to verse 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Pause. As we're reading this, I want you to look for Trinitarian language. Look if understanding God as one in essence, yet three in personhood, is the best way to understand what we see here. Okay? Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will, 
according to his kind intention which he purposed in him. With a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth, in him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. And I got to say amen after that. Mm, mm, mm. Okay. Again, I'm going to show restraint by God's grace. Here's what I want to point out to you in here, and there's so much. Uh, so verse 3, what does it say? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Uh, verse 4, that's where I wanted to go. Verse 4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. Okay, so it starts out saying, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4 says, just as he chose us in him. So verse 4 shows us that, and I'm talking about why the doctrine of the Trinity ties in and is anchored to our understanding of the gospel and salvation. So we see in verse 4 that it is God the Father who has chosen us for salvation, okay? So God the Father, uh, further on down here, it says that he's, he's doing all things uh, to his purpose, and he works all things after the counsel of his will. And so it is by God's sovereign choosing that we are saved. And so um, God has decreed it. God the Father has decided it, okay? So that's his part in the deal. Next, we see verse 7. It says, in him, okay? That's a reference to Christ now. He's moved on from blessed be the God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, um, uh, up, in, up in verse 5, it says, through Jesus Christ to himself, and then, and then he uses the, the pronoun him, and that is referring to Christ. And so in ver- here's, what is verse 7 telling us? In him, that's Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And so we see that God the Father has chosen us according to the counsel of his will, and we see in verse 7 that we are redeemed and sacrifice has been paid by God the Son, that Jesus Christ, that his part in the salvific effort of God, the redemptive plan of God, was that he paid the price. We are redeemed, verse 7 says, through his blood. And because of that, given forgiveness of our trespasses, and all of that according to the riches of his grace. Mm. We're chosen by God the Father, redeemed by God the Son. Let's go to verse 13. In him you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. And so we see that the Father chose us by the counsel of his will. We see that um, God the Son, Christ, redeemed us by the spilling of his blood, according to the riches of his grace. And we see that God the Spirit has sealed us. The Holy, that he is, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. So we were chosen by God the Father, redeemed by God the Son, sealed for promise by God the Spirit. All three had an active and different role in the process of us being saved. Praise God for that. I give you these verses in Ephesians 1 for two reasons. Uh, First of all, as evidence of the importance of this doctrine. So I haven't actually switched gears yet all the way to answering the question which is, is, is the doctrine of the Trinity biblical? I'm still giving you evidence. So if I'm, this Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, it's, it's got a dual purpose. One, I'm still trying to prove to you that this matters for you, okay? And so the very fact that our salvation is moored and anchored in the doctrine of the Trinity, for me, makes it important. Because I'm banking on the whole salvation thing, right? <laughs> That's, I've kind of hung my hat on that one, and so for me, that brings this way up in the, in the importance, and I can see here clearly Ephesians 1, 3 through 14 telling me that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit all had an active role in this, in, in participation in, in the redemptive work for us as people. And so um, I am saved uh, because of what Ephesians 1, 3 through 14 says, that, that God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit worked together, and, uh, and they executed uh, the perfect will of God according to the counsel uh, of his will and according to the riches of his grace. And so uh, 
I'm thankful that all three of them, I'm thankful that uh, there's no bickering within the Godhead. I thank you that, or I'm thankful that um, there's no um, jockeying for position. I'm thankful that uh, each one of them is in mutual submission and perfect love. They have no ulterior motives and that they are in 100% agreement on everything. uh, But specifically, I'm really thankful that they're in 100% agreement on this, that we wretched sinners needed their help and that they were going to come together and that they were going to do what was necessary for us to be saved. So God chose us by the counsel of his will. Christ redeemed us, spilling his blood by the riches of his grace, and the Holy Spirit seals us for that beautiful promise. Each one actively apart. And so, yes, this is important, uh, and, and that's, this is my second proof. So the first thing I told you is I don't think love as we know it could exist without God being Trinity forever past, having love within its community. Um, kind of secondary to that, I don't think we'd have Mother's Day. Still important, but, I, you know, I'm just giving you lots of reasons why I think the Trinity is important. Thirdly, um, our salvation is anchored in Trinitarian understanding of who God is. Okay? So, that's a big deal. Also, I'm, I'm giving you these verses as my, so that was my last reason why it's important, and it's my first reason it's biblical. Okay? Because I, I, I'm reading through this, I'm seeing the language of all three uh, distinct persons here in Ephesians um, 1, 3 through 14, okay? So this is my first proof text for you that, ab- yes, absolutely, it's, it's not weird, uh, cultish, or a misunderstanding of the scriptures for us to see God as triune in his very nature and being, okay? Uh, <clears throat> so now we are switching gears <clears throat> to answering, we, we've said, why is the Trinity important? So hopefully now we are all really interested in the rest, which is, now why do we believe it's biblical? Why does it matter for me? Why, you know, I'm not a biblical scholar, and I, you know, argue about sports, not doctrine and theology, so can I click out for the rest of this? I hope not, because um, love existing is important, and like matters in my life, and so is the fact that uh, God has saved me by grace, and, and every part of uh, the Godhead had a really active role in that, so hopefully I've proved to you it's important. Now we're going to work on why it's biblical. Um, so I'm going to start off by one of the attacks. Some would say that it is only several centuries after Christ that uh, church councils got together and kind of created the doctrine of the Trinity. Indeed, it was later that the word Trinity was used to describe the shared essence but distinct personhood of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, But this is not where the idea began. Small caveat, part of the reason it took a couple centuries for huge groups of Christian leaders to get together and begin like hammering out unity on big doctrinal uh, ideas is that during those first couple centuries, uh, Christians were being fed to lions and, you know, crucified and filleted and all kinds of stuff. And so <clears throat> it wasn't a super good idea <clears throat> to get in a big group, right, <laughs> um, and, and kind of make yourself vulnerable. So there was some time there where uh, the, the church of God was just growing underneath incredible persecution. It's a miracle of God that Christianity even exists today. But it, it not only did that, it flourished under the fact that uh, a whole bunch of people wanted to kill anybody that said they believed in Jesus. So it's, it's not that um, a bunch of people got together you know, in the 4th century and said, okay, uh, we've got some theological problems we need to reconcile. Let's make up this thing called the Trinity. It was well understood. That's the way everybody was treating the way, that's how they understood these scriptures. Those councils were getting together and saying, yes, we agree, yes, we agree, yes, we agree. All right, great, let's move on. We can write that down now. Um, and we can actually afford to carry scrolls because we don't have to run as much uh, when people are trying to kill us. Okay, so... That's part of why it didn't happen as quick as maybe some would like. My whole point is, yes, it was later that the word Trinity was used to describe God's essence and nature, but it's definitely not where the idea began. Let me give you some proof of that. In Genesis 1, 26, okay, pretty far before the councils, uh, God says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And also in Genesis 11 at the Tower of Babel, he says, let us go down and confuse their language. Okay? Were you keyed in on there I want to talk about? I'm in Genesis 1. You can't get much earlier than that. Okay? He says, let us make man in our image. Is God confused about how to talk? I don't think so. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And also in Genesis 11 at the Tower of Babel, he says, let us go down and confuse their language, okay? Uh, that, to me, God thinks there's something going on there. Thanks, guys. Appreciate that. 
They told me, uh, when we started this series, the first, the first question was, um, would Jesus vote and who would he vote for? And I, I had been wretchedly sick that week. I told you guys that. And they told me I had viral bronchitis. And they said, that's the 30-day cough. I'm like, you know what? That's not going to happen. Only on Sundays. So here we go. <clears throat> Satan doesn't want you excited about the Trinity. So he's going to try to get you distracted by the fact that I'm coughing. And, but you guys, are, you guys are too hip for that. We're going to get through this, and we're all going to be stoked on it, all right? So uh, that's Genesis 1 and Genesis 11. God talks about himself in plurality. Isaiah 6, verse 8. Uh, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. Who will go for us? Who's he talking to? Does he have a mouse in his pocket? No. He's talking to the other members of the Trinity, right? Because, And we know that because he also uses that language. Thank you. Um, when he's saying, let us make man in our image, you know, somebody could say, well, maybe he was looking over at angels and he's talking to them and kind of including them in the conversation. He's not making us in the image of angels. Who are we made in the image of? God. He's talking in the plural. Okay. We got to deal with that. All right. Amen. And this is just a few <clears throat> of the examples from the Old Testament, hundreds of years before the events of the New Testament, hundreds of years even further, thousands of years before the councils, where Trinitarian language is used, okay? Next question. How do we know that the Father, Son, and Spirit are not three separate gods? Because there are some cults, offshoots, that interpret it that way, okay? Uh, first, I would give you Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. That's one you want to remember. All right, I know. I know when I put you on the spot like that, it's scary. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Okay? So we have God in Genesis saying, let us make man in our image. But we also have Deuteronomy saying, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And so that, that does damage to this idea that, okay, well, all right, I see there's almost this undeniable sense that there's distinct personhood between the Father, Son, and Spirit. So how do I reconcile that? Because it's like, it's like easier. I can, I can understand better three gods. Like, that makes more sense to me, um, using my, my you know, three-pound piece of meat between my ears here and trying to process it. It's like, mm, yeah, okay, well, there's all this multiple plural language. Maybe it's, maybe it's three gods, but uh, that doesn't work because the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's not the only verse. 1 Timothy 1.17, now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Those are just two examples. There's many, many more where God is talked about as the one true and only God. Okay? So there's too many verses that talk that way for us to just kind of make it easy for us to understand. Okay, say, okay, well, there are three different deities. They're, still, they're kind of working together. They're cool with each other. That can't be what we're talking about. Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. How do we know that God the Father is not God? While Jesus and the Holy Spirit are created beings, that's another way people have understood this, right? Because there's language of uh, Jesus being the firstborn of all creation, um, that, that he is the Son. So people look at it that way, and they understand uh, that, okay, well, maybe, maybe there's Father God, then maybe he created Jesus, and then he created the Holy Spirit. And so it's, it's, maybe God shares a bunch of authority with them, but they're not you know, essentially the same, because that's hard to understand how, how they're how they're essentially the same. They are all God, yet three distinct persons. That's, that's why the doctrine of the Trinity gets argued about. That's why some people ignore it, because uh, it is hard to understand. But how do we know that God the Father is not God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are created beings? Why, why doesn't that work? Because that would reconcile it. That's even easier to understand than what I'm saying. That's easier than the, the doctrine of the Trinity. Here's why. That can't be the case. John 1, 1 through 3, first of all. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, okay? All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Did you get that? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I'm not done. Jump down to verse 14. We're in the same flow of thought as John's opening his letter, and it says, the same Word that was with God and the Word that was God that same word, verse 14, and the word became flesh 
and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Why can Jesus not be a created being? Well, the Word was with God, and the Word was God all the way at the beginning, and then the Word became flesh. Okay? So we can't say he's just a created being, So not, not, right? Now our gears are turning. We're grappling with that, all right? And yeah, this is, this is difficult, but the Lord will help us work through it, okay? It's difficult, but not impossible to grasp. All right. So that's why Jesus, among, and I just pick those verses because they're some of my favorites um, on the issue, uh, to make it clear that Jesus can't be a created being. There's so many more. Uh, and, and my great hope is, as I've said with all the rest of these sermons, the Trinity is a huge deal. Lots can be said. I'm just hoping that I give you enough that you then will go and take a look at it. There's so many more places where it's clear that Jesus is not a created being, that he actually is God. He accepts worship from the disciples, right? People want to kill him because he claims to be God. There's too many places. There's too many things stacked against the idea that Jesus is, because he's referred to as the Son of God, is somehow a created being. The Word was with God, and the Word was God, all the way at the beginning, all right? And then the Word became flesh. Holy Spirit. How do we know the Holy Spirit isn't just some impersonal force that God created and kind of, you know, out into the world? Acts 5, verses 3 and 4. But Peter said to Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men but to God. Who did he say he lied to at first? The Holy Spirit. He said, you haven't lied to men. You've lied to God. Again, I, we went through some of this last week. Peter sees the Holy Spirit as God. That's pretty solid, right? That's not the only place. Um, there's, there's many others. So the Holy Spirit is not a created being. He is also God. So God the Father is God. God the Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. The doctrine of the Trinity is hard for us to fully understand. Augustine once commented about the Trinity that in no other subject is error more dangerous or inquiry more laborious or the discovery of truth more profitable. Did you hear that? <laughs> he said in no other subject is error more dangerous or inquiry more laborious or the discovery of truth more profitable. However, our inability to fully grasp the mystery of God's Trinitarian nature is not evidence against its truthfulness, but instead evidence for it. I would submit this to you, friends. If I could understand absolutely everything about God with my finite mental faculties, I would be much more hesitant to worship Him. I expect that the God who created everything, might have some things about him that I can't totally grasp. And as I've told you before, you got two options every time you hit that spot. You can doubt or you can worship. And I don't think taking the worship road is just because I'm ignorant and I don't care about facts or whatever else. Um, it's just reasonable to me that God's eternal character and nature might be just outside of my grasp. Uh, and, and I don't think it's because I'm dumb. I, I think it's because he's real, 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 real big. And I'm happy about it. Amen. The undeniable harmony of both the Old and New Testament declares that our God is one in essence, yet within that godness, and that's what I mean when I say essence, you can think of the word godness, they are all god there, there are three distinct, loving, eternal, and powerful persons. The doctrine of the Trinity can be summarized in seven statements. They are these. There is only one God. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Father. I know that's a lot. But if you take those down, take them piece by piece and really think about it, it'll lay out for you what we believe about the Trinity, what we believe the Bible describes as the way God exists. Uh, I am incredibly grateful 
that God has existed in perfect, loving community for all of eternity. And that He has imprinted upon us, His people, part of His divine nature. It is only because of this that we are able to respond to Him with love, knowing that He is the one who loved us first. And you may ask, what proof do we have that He loved us first? I would call your attention to the fact that uh, we are told in Romans that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so it wasn't that uh, we declared allegiance to him. It wasn't that we uh, gave up our rebel's robes and, and, and just received him. It wasn't that uh, we went searching for him. It was that he in his mercy loved us first. Um, what evidence do we have that he loved us first? Uh, it's, it's the beauty of the gospel that declares, it yells as loud as could possibly be declared across the heavens and into the earth that God has loved us when we did not yet love him. Because the truth of the gospel is this, we were yet sinners. The truth of the gospel is this, that we were made perfect and then we decided to rebel. And because of sin, every single one of us finds distance between us and God. The tragic truth is that none of us has the capability, the ability, or the tools to build a bridge to span the gap that sin has created between us and God. We can't do it ourselves. And so the worst news anybody's ever heard is that sin has separated us from God and that we can't fix it. The, the worst news, without the, new, without the good news of the gospel that's coming in just a moment, the fact that God is perfect is terrifying news because that, his perfection is my indictment. Because I understand that I can't be in fellowship with a being of total perfection that is, that is likened to light when I am not perfect. And the problem with perfection is it's not about, oh, I realize I'm, I'm in trouble, so I'm gonna, from here on I'm going to start doing really, really good. I'm going to stop doing a bunch of bad stuff that I do, thinking and talking and, and all the stuff that, that is, is against God that is a part of my lifestyle. I'm going to stop all that and I'm going to start, I'm going to add a bunch of good things now and start doing those. The problem is I could do that, and I could go so hard. I could white-knuckle it, and I could nail it from that point forward. Have I made myself perfect again? Can't do it, friends. Can't fix imperfection. I'm in serious trouble, and so were all of us. That's the evidence that God loved us first, because that's the state he finds us in, and he sends Christ. He sends Christ to fix a problem that we can't fix. He sends Jesus to come and be born of a virgin to live an absolutely perfect life so that he can step in and be the sacrifice so that he can display perfect love, so he can give us an example of what selflessness and sacrifice really looks like, so he can give us a glimpse into the eternal perfect love that the Trinity has enjoyed. What does 1 John 3.16 say? By this we know love. Mere finite human. Do you hope to glimpse with your lack of ability into the depth of what the, the, the triune God has enjoyed with, within that community for all of eternity? You want to understand what that love looks like? Here's the best shot you got. Fix your gaze upon the cross of Christ. You want to understand what love is. You want to understand what that looks like, what it's supposed to be. Look at the cross of Christ. And so that, friends, is evidence that he loved us first. Uh, and he did. He went, he died in our place for our sins, and then absolutely everything he said was going to happen, happened. Three days later, he rose from the grave, triumphant over death and hell, put, vanquished our enemies, sent them running, and declared hope in trusting in what he'd done. It's, it's beautiful. It's the best message anybody's ever heard. It only makes sense if we understand the dark contrast of that bad news, and I'm just so thankful. I'm thankful God didn't wait for us to get our stuff together. I'm thankful that he didn't wait for us to um, come to our senses because the reality is that was never happening. He had to go first. He had to make the first move, and he did. Went all the way, paid the whole price, did everything that was necessary so that we could have hope and life now and for eternity. We have been loved undeniably. And we see a glimpse into what it is the triune God has enjoyed in perfect love, community, and fellowship. And so when, when we look at that, friends, we see that as the high bar and the perfect model. We are not going to ever enjoy upon this earth completely pure 
and total love, submission, um, agreement, unity, the way that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit do. However, what it does do is set a high bar for us. It sets a goal for us to go to. So we don't want to settle low for, well, none of us have killed each other, right? Like, we did pretty good this year. No, like, we, we need to set our goal higher than that because, because God has made us in his image, because God has given us this ability. He shared with us part of his divine nature. We can, by the help of his spirit, uh, we can do better as we go, moving forward by his grace, at loving each other, at, at being unified over mission, at not letting the things that are distinctions between us be reasons for division. Um, we can join together and we can be passionate about joining in on, on, on this mission that God has given us. Uh, this, this great effort that he has undertook, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we see that in Ephesians. They have made their business about reconciling broken humanity to the God that made them and loves them. And the kicker is, he's invited us, broken humanity, to come be a part of the effort of saving and helping broken humanity. And I don't know about you, but I still can't believe it, and I'm so excited. I don't mean I can't believe it. That's a dumb thing to say. I do believe it. That's why I've based my whole life upon it, and I'm, I'm still just, I'm blown away that he would involve me because I know me, uh, and I'm frankly blown away that he involves some of you because I know you, but um, <laughs> anyways, uh, you know what I mean. We're, we are, man. Um, every single one of us is, is a work in progress. We all have our own issues, struggles. We all have our own tendencies towards uh, you know, preferences and kind of pulling back into selfishness instead of being selfless, uh, but at the end of the day, uh, we see this high bar and this goal of eternal uh, love, eternal joy, eternal enjoyment, uh, eternal unity uh, in the Trinity, and that for us, um, that, that the, imperfectly but to some degree, um, the love that is capable between them has been stamped upon us. Um, I think we see it really vibrantly in the way mamas love their children, uh, and I think the church is called, uh, if what Jesus said is right, which typically it is, uh, then we have been called to strive for that kind of love, that kind of unity. Um, and, and I'm just excited to be a part of it. And I believe by God's grace we can do it. Amen. May we be a people who reflect well the eternally perfect and loving nature of our Creator. May we be a people who rejoice that the truths about our God are deeper and more wonderful than we can understand. And may we be a people who always honor mamas and see them as the incredible gift that they are. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Lord God, we are thankful for the doctrine of the Trinity. We believe it's true. We are thankful that you are, you are one God and yet three distinct persons. Every one of you powerful. Every one of you loving. Every one of you eternal. Uh, Lord, I'm thankful there's things in the Bible that are hard for me to understand. I thank you, God, that uh, you're smarter than me, and I thank you that you're deeper than I can grasp. I thank you that I can strive for all of the rest of eternity to try to get to the bottom of how wondrous and how amazing and how magnificent you are, and uh, I will never, ever exhaust your greatness. Thank you, God, that I could set my heart and mind to a constant pursuit of all of eternity to understand just how great you are, and I would find myself busy for all of eternity, that I will never fully plumb the depths of your greatness, that I will never fully plumb the depths of your unending and beautiful love, that I will never fully understand how it is a God so perfect and wonderful would give grace and mercy to wretched sinners like us. Thank you, I can think on these things, and I could, I could press towards these things, and I could, I could contemplate them, God, for all of eternity and I would never, ever get bored. And God, I ask that you would give us a passion to do that. And as we do, every time we come to the point where, where we, we've stretched our ability to think about it, we've, we've found ourselves at the end of the road and we just, we can't quite grasp how you could be that great, how you could be that wonderful, how you can be that mysterious, how you could be that magnificent, how you can be that truly and actually awesome. May we find ourselves at the end of that road every single time, drop to our knees, hands in the air, declaring that you are God and we are not. And may we worship you in those times because you're worthy of that. And then may we get up from that, and may we go forward, and may, we let, may that, Lord God, motivate us. May it put a holy boldness and a fire motivated by love to go into this world and declare your greatness to every single person that will stand still long enough to hear it. God, may we never, 
just settle into a groove. May we never just become church people. May we never just be people that are going through the motions, hoping for the day that you come. God, may we understand that the fact that you have not come yet is a great patience and a mercy on your behalf, and that you have asked us to come and to actively be a part of the the plan that you have to redeem your people, to bring people to the knowledge of salvation. Thank you so much for including us as your kids in that. Thank you for bringing us along. Thank you for empowering us to do it. Thank you for modeling for us what perfect love looks like. Thank you for stamping upon us as you created us, part of your image and likeness and your nature. God, help us. Help us tomorrow to love more like you do. Please. We fall short of it a whole lot. Lord God, I lift up the moms in the room right now. I pray for all the mamas. I pray for every mama that's a part of Love City. God, I ask that you would... Uh, continue to supernaturally anoint them. I don't care if their kids are grown. I don't care if they have infants. Lord, whatever it is, there is a special anointing and gifting on moms. And we just ask, God, that you would continue to grace them for that task. And God, I ask that every single woman in this place, whether she has children of her own or not, I ask, God, that you would give them an absolute um, passion to be a gospel mother. There's such a lack uh, out in our culture because your love for many moms is not what dictates their actions. Your love, your example is not the filter they're running their, their uh, priorities through. And so there's a whole lot of people out there that have not felt the incredible compassion and love and guidance uh, and wisdom that comes from a relationship with a good mama. And so, Lord, I ask that as gospel mothers, these women that are part of Love City Church would go out into their workplaces, everywhere they are, uh, extended family, to their neighbors, people that are hurt and broken. And what they need is the compassion and the love and the care of a mom. May you empower them by the gospel. Lord, may you enlarge the capacity of their hearts so that they can stretch their arms wide and make those hugs bigger, including more people. Uh, because everybody needs a mom that loves them. And uh, I thank you, God, that you, you allow us to reach beyond the capacity of biology uh, to love people that maybe wouldn't get it otherwise. And so uh, I'm just thankful for gospel moms. I'm thankful for the, the women of God you put in my life uh, that have served that purpose and uh, that have been faithful to do it. And uh, I'm, I'm just thankful, God. I'm thankful today. And I'm full of, of passion for your name. Uh, may all of us leave here. Uh, Lord, just absolutely infused with love-motivated, holy boldness to speak your word boldly. Um, And we just give you praise and honor, God. We're so thankful. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give... Or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.